Hello and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 27, back again and uh, rejoined by Matt Santangelo. We're reunited once again. How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, yeah, it's great to be back on with you. Of course, Martino uh, lent a great hand in, of course, uh, as, as our newcomer to the podcast. We had Rocco Fasano on the last episode. So if you guys haven't checked out episode 26, make sure you guys do that. There's a lot of... Uh, good content in there specifically on Serie A and um, the Italian national team. But yeah, it's great to be back after, um, you know, the, the previous episode, of course, having the Thanksgiving holiday mixed in and then, um, you know, Calcio and, uh, you know, the international uh, fixtures and all that stuff. So it's just good to be back in, in the swing of things and recording consistently. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing that you've got a, a few more pounds on board after this thanksgiving break yeah it's, it's it hasn't been healthy to the uh it hasn't been good for the waistline guys i don't know if i'm ready to go out there for i feel like uh the early season eden hazard where you know he had a, just a little bit too much fun and too much uh uh excitement and uh you know have an appetite during the summer break and now uh, you know, i feel like i gotta play catch up here but uh yeah i'm enjoying myself <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of I think when it was Payet when he would come back to to West Ham after the off season it was uh not not the not the greatest of sights from him but uh yeah no it's it's been an interesting few weeks in in the football world uh, I I think we've got to start with the club that's closest to my heart and Arsenal where uh there's a big announcement where Unai Emery was finally relieved of his duty and so uh, his backroom staff so uh, yeah he, he was sacked um, a few days ago and uh, Freddie Jumberg was announced as interim caretaker manager but interestingly they made it very abundantly clear that there was a search on the way for a new coach so Matt from the outside in uh, obviously a lot of people have said that this was just a long time coming um, were you surprised that Arsenal waited until uh, you know a Europa League game defeat to kind of that didn't really matter much to Arsenal to to actually pull the trigger I mean it, it was he was a dead man walking right I think everyone kind of understood that you know it was just only a matter of time before he actually got the sack and I think when you kind of look at this the situation in the Europa League and you you know you look at the competitions and it do you wonder if it's like one of those things where all right if Unai Emery is going to you know try and at least steady the ship try and salvage something or at least try and kind of give us reason to believe that maybe he is still worthy of keeping his job a little bit longer. Um, you like, would like some sort of reaction in, in the European competition, right? We're back against the wall with him kind of on a hot seat pretty much for the entire season so far. And he just didn't get that reaction. It was the same thing more or less with what's going on with Manchester United, right? We talked about this on previous episodes where we're kind of closely monitoring their situations because in many ways they are identical. Um, obviously, Ole is still the manager of Manchester United, which, you know, t- t- time will tell how long that, that kind of keeps going. But, yeah, with Unai Emery, it was, it was inevitable. And it, for me to see this, I, I, it's hardly surprising. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see what the uh, fallout is or the reaction is from the players after this. You know, guys like Mesut Ozil, who were frozen out of the squad. Uh, Granit Xhaka, who is kind of just more or less on his way back in after, you know, that whole rift with him walking off the pitch and, you know, you know, kind of edge, egging on the fans to kind of, you know, keep booing, all that stuff. It, it got really ugly to the point where there was no choice for Arsenal but to just let Unai Emery go, try to get a fresh face in there. Um, it's not, you know, he's not going to be the the, uh, the long-term solution by any stretch. This is where the search kind of starts to open up and they start to uh, assess things a little bit more closely. But 
I think the one, the biggest thing that I'm fascinating with the, with the entire situation surrounding Arsenal, um, and you can even make the case for Manchester United because uh, again there are some similarities between the two situations, is that this feels like a different season. Uh, than in previous ones, right? There's a lot of openness to some of those, uh, that, that Champions League, that fourth Champions League spot, some of the Europa League spots, so on and so forth, that you feel that with a good stretch, and I'm not saying anything's going to happen, don't hold me to this, but if they're able to get a reaction out of this this interim boss, that maybe can Arsenal turn things around because it doesn't seem like anything solidif- solidified, excuse me, aside from the top two, three clubs, right? But I think at the end of the day, if you're an Arsenal fan, you just want a reaction. You want something that kind of, at least you can kind of pitch to um, a long-term solution on the bench. And, you know, like if you're going to bring, hey, if you're if you're selling Arsenal to a, a Max Allegri or some of these other big-name managers that could be on a possible list, a Pochettino example, um, you want to be able to say, look, like we know our situation's dire. It's, it's, it's pretty uh, bad uh, at the moment, but we have this piece, we have that piece, we have a good attack, we have some good defenders coming in. You know, you can at least try and package it and present it in a way that says, hey, you know what? Yes, we are in a difficult spot, but this is why we project to be heading in the right direction, and this is why we project we could be here next year for you, and you can kind of pretty much have the expectation that you can come in and do a job that you want. So that's where how I see someone on the outside looking in. Um, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts, Pat, because I know obviously again as the as the big Arsenal fan here and someone who closely follows them and is, is a fan first and foremost before a podcaster or a pundit or whatever. I'm curious to get your thoughts on the situation. Uh, in, in, in the fallout to Emery being sacked, to the current uh, position of them now, and ultimately where you see Arsenal at this time next year? Oh, God, what a question. Uh, so It's loaded. <laughs> it's a loaded question, and I think it's tough. It's tough to project so far into the future because different players are going to come and go. There's going to be, obviously, a different coach, a different perspective. But, uh, you know, if you could give me just kind of an idea of how you feel um, in this current situation, because again, it's, it's a very difficult one to be in for an Arsenal uh, Arsenal fan. Yeah, so I think obviously, first and foremost, Unai Emery just didn't pan out, and I think the board gave him probably too much rope to kind of like, uh, you know, dead man walking analogy, finish himself off kind of thing. I. <sighs> I just think that now it's been a bit weird with Arsenal, actually, that the relationship between Arsenal and the fans has been very different in the last 18 months. I think we always talked about how, uh, you know, when David Ornstein would tweet something, we take it for gospel. And and now it seems like since the Croenks took on kind of the majority ownership of the club and, and they are the custodians now, it just seems that the, the there is very, very small amounts of information leaking out of Arsenal. When Ornstein used to tweet maybe two years back, it, it was just fact. And now it just feels like less and less is being drip-fed fed into the media. It feels like people have less and less of idea of what is actually going internally or on internally. Yeah. There's a lot of curiosity. There's a lot of questioning. There's a lot of, you know, things behind the scenes. And it's and when you, when there's a lot of quietness to things, that's where fans and uh, you know, the media and, you know, people start to kind of wonder, like, what's going on with this team? What's 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 the deal? What's going on? Are things good? Are things are things bad? Yeah, exactly. And I think that, I mean, you only have to look at the amount of names that have been thrown into the hat since Jan Berg has appointed. He's been appointed interim manager and 
from the statements from the club, it's been very clear that they're going to find a head coach. And they said there'll be another announcement when we find the right candidate. And now the names that have been thrown out there are Brendan Rodgers, Mikel Arteta, Maurizio Pochettino, which Ornstein actually came out and said, you know, the interest there is real. But, you know, I'm thinking, is this a double bluff? Or is this just as a smokescreen? And they end up going with Arteta. And then there's, you know, Allegri, who I'm sure you... I've heard Vieira, too. Vieira, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure Thierry Henry's name would be in the hat if he didn't just take up another job. Um, And, you know, I think I even saw Ancelotti's name mentioned. So there are a lot of names being banded about. Uh, uh, Of course, Nuno Espirito uh, Santos as well, the um, Wolves manager who has great ties with uh, um, Jorge Mendes, the super agent. But obviously, Mendes is also Mourinho's agent. And Mendes helped Arsenal uh, get a load of their deals on over the line over the summer. So there's there's quite a few conspiracy theories and like, you know, just statements being thrown about by, you know, Arsenal um, Twitter guys and kind of like podcasters and, and, you know, journalists. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts, uh, Matt, because I, I think for me, I'd... I absolutely love like a Brendan Rodgers. I was just watching Leicester and, and the football they play is absolutely sensational. He's got the, the right philosophy. He seems to be able to uh, manage players really well, which is, I think, something Arsenal missed in the last 18 months and even maybe in the last, say, three years at the end of Wenger's reign when some manager, some players were just kind of falling out of love with his, with his ways. Um, apart from kind of like those kind of names, what about... Is the Allegri thing really a possibility? I know I remember David Amoyal and uh, a couple other guys talking about how there was small conversations had about the United job, but now all the kind of Ole being sacked rumours are kind of being not put to bed, but definitely quietened down. Do you think an Arsenal, do you think first of all that he'd be good at Arsenal and second of all, whether or not he'd kind of fit that uh, philosophy of playing that kind of expansive attacking football? Because, you know, you you can correct me if I'm wrong, he's not exactly uh, renowned for that, is he? He's not, and I think there was a lot of uh, on his way out or in the, in the his tenure at Juventus. Um, you know, he obviously inherited a very good squad, a squad that was ready to compete right away from Conte. Uh, obviously, made two Champions League finals. Didn't didn't for for Juventus fans, unfortunately, didn't deliver the title that they want. Um, and he didn't again to your point, didn't play the expanse of attacking football that fans really were were begging for. Um, but at the same time, I think he was is a manager that got results when they needed him. Uh, you know, albeit in the kind of somewhat of a sloppy fashion, or one of those uh, grinded out type of managers where you know he you would prefer you know if they went ahead in the game to go up one goal and then sit back versus trying to go for the second to third and be like that kind of that killer instinct type of manager um, and very cutthroat and, and really willing to again open up the playbook and open up things and really uh, be that offensive juggernaut type manager. But that just simply wasn't the case, and I think if it me for me, you know, looking at you know whether or not Allegri's a fit for Arsenal, I, I can say this is I think again there's there's a lot to be said about um, you know look to your point, you know, getting back to this real quick, and then I'll get back to another point I was going to go into, uh, you know, the fact that you know things have kind of been tight lipped and hush hush in recent years surrounding Arsenal, uh, I think it makes it a little bit more mysterious, and it really makes it um, difficult to understand one. Who who the ideal candidate for Arsenal is going to be? Are they going to go with someone like an Arteta, Vieira, uh, Henri, someone who has somewhat of a footprint on the club historically? Are they going to go for the experienced manager like a Pochettino, like an Allegri, um, like an Ancelotti? 
Um, that's kind of the difficult part of this this situation because Arsenal aren't the club that's going to back up the Brinks truck for their for their manager like a City or like a Liverpool. I mean, yes, they have spent where they needed to spend in recent years, and even last summer they did get a couple players here and there. Uh, obviously, Nicolas Pepe, who's gone off to a, t- a rough start at, uh, at the Emirates. Uh, Saliba's coming in. They did get Tierney. So David Luiz, although it was a small purchase. So they did spend in certain areas where they need to. But they're not the type of manager where he says, hey, look, Allegri, you come in, blank checks for you, whoever you want, we're going to get. And I think that's the toughest part for any, to sell any manager on, right? Because obviously, unlike in previous years and previous decades, um, having that understanding, having that, that conversation regarding, well, what, what, what am I going to have available to spend on certain players? Because, you know, this team, yes, there are pieces of this team that are uh, quality, but they're used in, in in wrong ways, in my opinion. At least Lucas Torreira, I don't think he's been utilized the right way. Last year, I thought there were spells where he looked really, really good under Unai Emery. And then for whatever reason, we're seeing him in different roles that really don't suit his profile. Um, obviously, Lacazette, Aubameyang, who could be on the way out. Nicolas Pepe, they do have quite a bit in the attacking uh, attacking. Uh, sense with obviously Mezu Uso hopefully going to get a, that, that increased role down in that workload again like we are so accustomed to seeing from him but I think there's a lot of pieces to this this Arsenal squad that need to be kind of blown up and I think you know look to, to in order for a team like or a manager like Allegri Ancelotti or Pochettino to be convinced you got to be able to give them that sort of flexibility to go and get the guys that they want to ultimately create the project that's going to get Arsenal back to where they need to be and I think for me that's kind of the toughest part to understand right now as you just alluded to you know about things being more hush hush is that we really don't know who their candidate's going to be, right? I think, you know, if you look at a team like Manchester United, you assume their next manager is going to be a high-profile, like somewhat of a proven manager with a pedigree um, internationally on the European stage, you know, like an Allegri or like a Pochettino, just to kind of throw names out there. But, you know, it's hard to kind of say where they're going to go with this. I think there's fans that may say, hey, look, we'd be willing to give Arteta an opportunity, right? He knows his club. He's going he's gonna to put his best foot forward. Um, you know, he, he has, you know, those years of experience working under uh, Pep Guardiola. He's a student of the game. He's really knowledgeable. He's had a great career as a, as a player. So I think that could translate um, off the pitch. And there's certain players, uh, players now that have turned, uh, you know, assistants that you can just tell that, yeah, maybe they weren't the most historically uh, gifted uh, players in terms of their CV. But when it comes to knowing the game and knowing what it takes to be successful at this job, they they have a kind of a, a good grasp on uh, on the game itself, and they could translate that into a good successful coaching career. So that's how I see it. I think it's just really kind of it's still fresh, it's still raw for Arsenal, and I think there's going to be a lot of uh, guesswork then over the next couple of weeks, next month, and really throughout the entire window of January, right, the January transfer window, because obviously you know Arsenal again aren't in a terrible terrible position in the table in a table sense but i think again when you look at their everything that's going on with the club you really just don't know you know if it's going to get worse before it gets better or is it going to get one of those things where you know maybe the new manager that they got here on, on an interim basis can turn things around in a similar sense to what all they did last year when Mourinho was sacked and they got to have some sort of reaction from the squad things are a little bit more at ease it's a little bit more um, relaxed because they don't have that pressure of, well, who's going to be a coach on, on a weekly basis. Time will tell. I think, again, it's still fresh. It's still raw. It's still new. Um, and I think it's really, really just unclear at this moment in time what direction they're going to go with the manager, which, again, they, they got to get it right. I think at some point, you know, this is, you know, it's getting out of hand. You're seeing Liverpool City. You're seeing a lot of these clubs, um, you know, kind of just completely run away with everything and Arsenal are kind of left in the dust. So they got to get this one right. Yeah, they really do. I think it's 
it's just one of those situations for Arsenal at the moment that this is the one that, you know, even Gazidis, who you know very well now, who's kind of running things at Milan, he was the guy that drove the recruitment for Unai Emery. And now you've got Raul Sanani and uh, Edu and those guys over there who are now the main decision makers or the guys who, you know, quote unquote, give recommendations to the Quranks. It, you know, it, it's very much their next on the line now. This, this has to be the right uh, guy. And I really do think... Um, I mean, if I had to throw the names out there, I think I'm most likely to be in contention. I think it's between Arteta, maybe Pochettino, and if, I know that would be very controversial, but he was sacked by Tottenham, so maybe he, he has a little bit less love for them than he did 12 months ago. And then I can't, mm. you know, if, you, if you're Arsenal and you're the Arsenal board and you look at Brendan Rodgers, and they are above you in the check table, Leicester, and they are a big threat to get a top four spot instead of you, even a top six spot instead of you. If you take Brendan Rodgers mid-season from Leicester to Arsenal, I guarantee you that Leicester between now and the end of the season will probably do worse than their current kind of uh, record. And I probably guarantee you that Arsenal would do better. So, you know, that's a very simplistic equation. But um, but if you're the board, you might look at that and say, look, Premier League experience, nearly won the league with Liverpool, clearly done a lot with a little with Leicester. We could actually kind of rock their boat and actually make our boat more steady all in one play. It's like a, not a checkmate move, but you're definitely putting yourself in a far stronger position on that chessboard um it's it's one of it's one of those things that I, I i always really just have my concerns and my doubts about managers um you know taking over a project midway through the season i, I just i i've always been one i've been one to believe that it's just given how messy a situation is at arsenal and i say the same thing as a milan fan and you could even say the same thing about Manchester united it's it's one of those things where if you're a if you're a big time manager I think there's a good chance that you take that 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 half year to a year sabbatical to assess things like like Allegri is doing. I don't I don't see Allegri jumping in uh, into the fire midway through the season again. You have a language barrier. Not saying God doesn't know his English, yeah, but, but why, you why know, would you take the risk? There's that that gets thrown into the equation. There's learning the kind of the league itself um, and what the league is all about. There's learning the personnel. There's learning what players you have and which players fit, which players don't, and having to do that all in a span of you know if you if you plan it the right way, two weeks, right? So I've always been one of those things. Again, Pochettino would be probably a seamless transition, a somewhat seamless transition, <laughs> because, again, he does know the league. He does know his, you know the, the players he's up against, so on and so forth. Um, but I just think it's one of those things where, you know, I just really don't know where which direction they're going to go with. I, I don't think that Freddie's going to be the, uh, the going to finish the season. Um, I, I wouldn't be so. It wouldn't be surprised me to see someone come in for six months. That's uh, kind of a, a manager who's kind of been around a little bit, has done some things in the Premier League. I don't see a Brendan Rodgers jumping ship, Leicester, and I think that's what makes it all the more difficult for Arsenal fans to stomach at this point in time because it doesn't really happen that often, right? A manager gets fired midway through the season, and all of a sudden he's going to join another club. Right? Even Jose Mourinho got sacked. And he jumped in right when Pochettino was fired, but he, it's not like he was coaching somewhere six months mm. ago. So I, I don't know. I, I, I wish I can t- give you some more optimism, <laughs> Pet, but that's kind of how I see it on the outside looking in. I think there's again the beauty about it is that the Arsenal are going to have options to to hire a good manager, which again that's something that maybe is more in the future. Again, thinking more in the summer here, but 
um, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see how things transpire transpire because everything is again on the on the hush hush and the down low at this moment in time. Yeah, I think the Pochettino one would be pretty crazy. I guess that the Arte, the, the Arteta one really interests me though. It'd be. I think Pochettino is probably going to be going to Spain. Yeah. I think he'll go back to Spain. But I mean, I Madrid, Madrid aren't doing that badly at the moment. Zidane's kind of finally gotten them playing to the level that nearly that they mm-hmm. were before with him and I think uh, it's taken a little bit of a while they, they've started quite poorly but you know Barcelona like he's he's openly said and I know he's openly said he'd never manage yeah, Arsenal Espanol. but yeah the Espanol links I, yeah. I don't know but then you say you know Messi's Argentinian Pochettino's Argentinian like blah 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 there, there, there could be that but I, I just think that I think Pochettino's not in terms of that kind of like okay you know I'm not going to do the accent the Barca style of play um, <laughs> uh, Pochettino I don't think he kind of plays that brand of football I think his brand of football is far more kind of like direct and more suited to maybe a Bayern Munich or probably someone else in the Premier League whether that's United or Arsenal I just I don't know I just don't see the Barca one there Real Madrid maybe but again Zidane's starting to to get them purring a little bit he's starting to turn things around um, yeah. but but it's it's yeah it's going to be interesting to see I, I think we've we've spent a long time on Arsenal now only tw- about 20 minutes but obviously that is the the biggest story we're not being biased well I'm not being biased it wasn't you know a battle I wasn't like Matt look we've got it we got to cover Arsenal <laughs> um but but before yeah. we were talking Talking uh, uh, about Syria and, and what's happened uh, this weekend, mainly, but also uh, kind of Maurizio Sarri, um, who's, who's kind of been come under some criticism for his performances in Syria, and then also we were talking uh, Chiro Immobile, and uh, really whether or not there's that many better strikers than him in, in the world at the moment. Um, I know you can point to Lewandowski, maybe Karim Benzema this season, but he really is on fire. So Matt, why don't you take it away with those two kind of things? Um, uh, over in Italy. Yeah, so, so let's let's start with Marito Tsari and his Juventus, right? You know, year one at the club, obviously he had a successful year, a successful single year um, at Chelsea, a short-lived time in England with them, got them into the top four, got them a Europa League trophy, his first big trophy um, as a coach, which, uh, again, all things considered, it was, a, it was a, considered as a success for him. I uh, took his time to Juventus, and now everyone's asking, Where's the sorry ball that we saw you you put on display at Napoli, right? And I think there's, um, it, for me, you know, and I think there was a lot of uh, reluctance and there was a lot of uh, reason for doubt and concern with the appointment of Marito Sarri at Napoli, at, uh, excuse me, at Juventus, and for for many reasons. One being that his teams typically take uh, a, a quite a bit of time to get going, right? It's one of those things where um, you know it's, it's almost like hot wiring a car, right? It's like uh, this 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 card is it, once it gets moving, you know, once it gets moving, it's it's it, it's gonna it's gonna be good. Trust me, I'll show you. Uh, or, or or someone who gets an old car and they were gonna rebuild it. It's like once I get this thing, you know, fresh and ready to go, new engine, new tires, new brakes, uh, you know, the interior, it's gonna look nice. It's gonna look well. And I think there are too many things you can say is that yes, you know, Juventus and and Marito Tsari, they could still potentially be. Uh, that sorry ball type team where you know they, they're playing that free that free attacking style. They're they're scoring goals. It looks nice. There's a lot of gifts, a lot of videos, all those sorts of things that we love on social media. But Juventus fans aren't seeing it. Yes, much like in previous years under Max Allegri, they're seeing the results. Right? They they're I think they're the only club in the top five that still remains unbeaten. 
but that only tells one really one part of the story, right? Because if you ask any Juventus fan, you ask anyone who's watched Serie A, and even if you've seen a glimpse of them in the Champions League, they're not playing convincing football. They're not playing the sort of football that you're saying, this team can win the Champions League. Now look, it's still in the grand scheme of things early because I, I always look at Juventus as a club, as a team that's a tale of two halves, right? The first half of the season, and this is kind of what we saw under Max Allegri during his time, is that they kind of grind out a lot of victories. They, they Allegri does a, did a lot of suspect things with the midfield players and playing certain players here and there, not playing others. And eventually, at the second half of the season, they found their own, themselves just running the table, running the show, getting the results, playing pretty good football at the right time when they need it. And I think that's what we're tr- starting to see here with Maritza Sarri's Juventus. And I think that's what Juventus fans are hoping for again. I think the issue here is that they want to see it soon because they know the urgency behind this current era of Juventus, right? They know that Inter are coming. They know that Conte is building something special, a young team with a lot of veterans as well, but a more or less a project that is to be reckoned with. Whereas with Juventus, they're saying, look, we got Bonucci, we got Chiellini who's out now. We have certain players that are, you know, not quite fit for, you know, this project long term, but we also spent the money on Ronaldo. We're spending the money on here on these players all around the squad. And we want results Juventus fans when they saw that Maurizio Sarri was the manager because they knew the, the how big of their ambitions were going to be. They knew that saying, look, this this is our this is our gap right now. We have two to three years for us to essentially win the Champions League until everything kind of gets, you know, eventually we maybe get kicked off our perch and we kind of have really a lot more competition to deal with. And I think looking at their style of play thus far this season, compounded with some of the results that they've had, you know, even today, we have the time of recording, recording this on Sunday, they just came off another bad performance against Sassuolo, a 2-2 draw where, once again, they just did not look that sharp. Ronaldo was, he looks like a shadow of his former self. He's not really that impactful. He got a penalty, but it's really concerning if you're a Juventus fan because you see top to bottom that there are pieces, there are promising pillars to the uh, to, to this project moving forward, but you see areas where is my, are we really going to see the sorry ball? Are we really going to see it sorry ball in full effect in full full gear? And for me, I look at the midfield as as one of the biggest things for for why Juventus aren't playing the style of football that you know fans had hoped when they hired Sorry. You can't possibly rely on Sami Kadira, Matuidi, Rodrigo Bentancur, Henri Chan, um, to, to, and Federico Bernardeschi to be the midfield that's required to make this thing flow the way it's supposed to flow. Now again, I reiterate, I just want to maybe just get this out real quick because I think, you know, unlike what we saw at Napoli, he was kind of given it a, a, a little bit more of a, of, of a, a long leash at Napoli because he was given multiple windows. He was, hey, look, we'll get you this player. Just have us finish top four, right? You'll get, get a couple midfielders. And eventually, year two, year three, that's where Mar- uh, Marito Sarri's Napoli peaked. They started looking really sharp. They scored a ton of goals. They did it uh, on the European stage. And then eventually, uh, they gave up short, and then all things came to an end, right? Like most cycles do. But I just looked to this midfield, and I think this looks like the one area where, look, when it's all said and done, if Juventus do not win a Champions League trophy, they will look back on this era and saying, 
why didn't we do more to address this midfield? We got the defenders. We got Bonucci back. We we had Jack Cancelo. We sold him. We had a great goalkeeper after Buffon and Wojciech Szczesny. We had Dybala, Higuain. We had all these players. Why didn't we properly replace that that era of midfielders with Vidal, Pirlo, Pogba, uh, Marquisio the right way to position ourselves to do more on the European stage. And I think that's what fans are really starting to see. And they're trying to, they're starting to get fed up with it because there's a lot of players that are not Juventus quality. And when the results aren't there and they're not doing it, it's very alarming because they see the end of the road here. They see the they see the light at the end of the tunnel and they think or not the not the light at the end of the tunnel, but they see what the future can hold for them this season and they can see maybe you know maybe not losing, maybe not winning the league title, losing it to your rivals Inter falling short in the Champions League, and you're like, what are we doing here, guys? And I think that's where Juventus fans are really concerned at this point in time. Again, I think there's still a part part of me that says that they're going to turn this around. Um, How much they're going to turn around, how effective they're going to be, that remains to be seen. But I think we're starting to see the way this table's shaping up, the way this season's shaping up for them, is that... They've really got to start to get this thing going because there's going to become a point in time where if they get drawn with someone really difficult in the round of 16, that they could be knocked out of this thing really quick and it can get ugly for Maurizio Sarri in year one. Yeah, so the question I was going to ask actually was, um, do you think the criticism, because I went on the um, Borig uh, FM uh, podcast or, or radio show, uh, which was... Uh, hosted by Johnny Bentley, and we talked about Sarri. We had a, a bit of disagreement. He said that he'd done like a a really really good job at um, at Chelsea, and I kind of argued that he he did what was expected. And my argument was that um, he inherited a team where he had the best player in the league for me by by a country mile. He had a seventy million pounds striker in Morata, who when that wasn't good enough, he got his man in Higuain in January. He had uh, a lot of the core that won the league with Mourinho. Um, he had Aspilicueta, who on his day or was one of the best, you know, one-on-one defenders in the league. He spent a lot of money on Jorginho. Um, I, I argued that, you know, with that squad, with, you know, the third best squad in, in England after City and Liverpool, he kind of did mm-hmm. as as well as was what was expected. And um, now that Lampard's come in, and hasn't spent any money, lost Hazard, um, had a couple of injuries, probably got Jorginho playing to the best level that he's had um, at Chelsea so far. It, has that actually kind of, in fact, like kind of amplified the criticism on Sarri, do you think? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a good, that's a fair take. That's a fair opinion to have and a fair assessment to make from the situation, right? I think, you know, look, at the end of the day, I think that was... To you, you, there's, there's, there's not one right answer to this or one right uh, side to take. I, I think you know, to your point, you know, they, I think he did what, he, what was expected of him. I think you know they got the certain players within reason. I think again could have, you know, could sorry have gotten a couple more players here and there. Of course, right? Any manager that's new to a league, that's competing with City, Liverpool, Tottenham, you're gonna need more than just a couple players if you want to play your style of football. So. Uh, to that point, I think he did. You know, he did overachieve in certain areas, right? Um, did he make certain players better? Um, I, yes and no. I think what we saw with Conte, and I think you can kind of try to compare the two because both took that uh, Italian managers who took that England uh, that England job, that England opportunity. Um, Conte was a manager who kind of came in year one, 
won the league title, but also made players better. And I think that's a that's a true testament, true sign of a really really top manager. Whereas Maurizio Sarri came in there, and I think it's really difficult, you know, with the Premier League specifically, to come in and you know have meet the objectives that he made. Also, the fact that he got the Europa League trophy, where there were signs of the season, times of the season, where everyone was, you know, ah, Jorginho's this or this player's this. Got to get rid of him. Maurizio Sarri's out of his element. He don't know what's going on. He's in over his head. And for some, for for, for to his credit. With all the criticism he faced, because everyone was hearing and clamoring for the sorry ball, they want that sort of style of football, and that's just simply not something that you can you know, expect to implement uh, overnight. So I think you can look at, at both opinions here, yours and Johnny's, of course, and say, yeah, he did what he was ex- what was expected of him, but I also think he kind of, in some areas of of, of year one in a new league and in his first endeavor outside of Italy, did pretty well. Uh, again, England is a league that has the most, they play the most matches to kind of balance that without having a complete window um, to spend to get the proper players that he wants. Again, he got players where he needed them. Um, but I think what you're what you're starting to see with this carryover is that Marito Sarri is, for all that he can do when his system is flowing and, and we're operating to its full potential, He's a flawed manager. He's still a manager that, in the grand scheme of things, is probably still learning and still trying to adapt and still trying to grow. Um, and maybe we're starting to learn to see what his ceiling is. Maybe he's not a manager that's fit to coach and deliver at a, at deliver um, trophies at a big club long term. Maybe he's that manager that's you know that's kind of second tier, and there's nothing wrong with it. Um, but maybe he, we, we can't put him or he won't be in that class of managers of the Peps, the Ancelotti's, the guys who you know, can win the league title, can then win also uh, a Champions League trophy, build somewhat of a dynasty. Because remember, for all the good that he did at Napoli, he never won a, t- a trophy. He never won the title, although he was very close many years and he had to come up against a very difficult Juve. He was never able to deliver that. And I think until he's able to get that off his back, again, he may come into this Juve and they may finish second, and the dynasty's over, and people are going to look at this guy saying, well, he couldn't do it at Napoli, one of the best Napolis in recent years, and probably the best Napoli in recent years, a couple of seasons ago. Then he goes into a stacked Juve side, and is the is a manager that can't continue along with the dynasty and get them far in the Champions League. So this is a, this is going to be a fascinating season to see when it's all said and done, um, and you look at his legacy. Again, it's not over by any stretch. He's still going to be coaching, but... Given the ambitions of the, the the couple clubs that he's coached in these past two seasons, they're much different than what they were at Napoli, and I think that's what people have to try and understand is that we're we're still trying to feel out what type of manager he is. Is he that top flight manager who can deliver trophy after trophy, or is he a manager that look I can I can get you competing, you'll finish top four, you can do some make some noise in the Champions League, but don't expect me to be that that long term three to four five year guy who can deliver you a title, can do this, can do that, and that's what we're starting to see with Sari is that you know yes he's very dedicated to his four three three, he's very dedicated to his ways, but if he doesn't have very specific players in very specific areas. Can he improvise? Can he think on his feet? And can he navigate a long season to deliver a trophy? And I think that's what we're really starting to try and see this season at Juventus because there's you can't. What other excuses can you make for the guy right now? Yes, they lost Chiellini. I understand that, but you got Matias Delict. You spent a ton of money on him and Bonucci. Is still one of the best pairings in football right now in terms of the way they're playing. They have a very very good goalkeeper. They have a very good attack. 
it's the midfield. And I think the midfield is going to be one of those things that could ultimately be the demise and ultimately lead to them not maybe not winning the league this year. Because Conte is coming, and I think he would love nothing more than to be the one to break that dynasty at Juve. Mm, uh, sorry, Matt, just as I was... Uh... Uh, just as we were speaking, I saw a tweet pop up, um, which was a, a few quotes from Brenda's, uh, Brendan Rogers. Um, I think a reporter asked him whether or not he has a release clause in his contract, and he responded with, uh, Does, doesn't every manager, which uh, which is interesting. It, it's kind, it of, interesting, kind of jarring, yeah. though. He's only been at um, Leicester for, since, like, last February, like... Damn, he's he's definitely yeah. an opportunist. I'm, uh, an opportunist. I mean, if he if he actually moves on to Arsenal, my worry would be, how long would he actually stay there for? Um, which is which is an interesting. That's true. One. Yeah, you know, because if he's willing to jump clubs, at, and and you know, if you're a Leicester fan, how do you feel in this situation, right? Because you start to see like, all right, we we bring him, we bring in this manager, we we're a club that kind of sells a, a player or two every summer. We are trending in a direction where we can be a top top four team, no problem. And Leicester's, cl- Leicester's climb in recent years has been sensational. And I think there was at one point in time they won the title and then they started falling under Ranieri. And everyone was like, well, is this where we're going to have, you know, are we going to be a one-and-done team? And credit for them to kind of can still, you know, kind of jump ahead of teams like Manchester United and Arsenal to be in the thick of things in that conversation for top four. So I- I'd love to know if, how our Leicester fans are feeling at this point in time because they're in a great position, but now that all of a sudden their manager is being linked to the Arsenal job, and then they hear this. So, I-, I mean, you could read it between the lines. You could overthink it. You could simply say, well, look, maybe he's just answering the question honestly. Um, but, man, this is this is going to be tricky to watch, man. I don't, you know, let's see how this plays out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. But uh, sorry, I derailed our, our Serie A chat there. We were probably about to go on and talk to, uh, about uh, Chiro Immobile, Immobile because yeah. he uh, he has got an absolutely ridiculous scoring record at Lazio this season, but also since he's been there. Um, what, what's the kind of view in Italy about him now and how good he's gonna, he is? And um, do, do you think he's kind of cemented that... Uh, starting striker spot for the Euros um do you think he's going to be at Lazio come the start of 2020-21 season um and and is he that far off like a Lewandowski I know Benzema's always had a a, also had an amazing season but what what do you think of this guy at the moment Matt? he's he's arguably the hottest striker in football right now I mean between him and Lewandowski I think that's confidently you can say those two and Benzema again are the top three strikers on form um, obviously, I don't think Jerome Mobley is a better, better striker than some of the other names that are maybe not mentioned in this conversation. But, you know, if you look at the way he's scoring goals, you know, the consistency and the pace he's scoring goals, um, he's on his way to breaking Gonzalo Higuain's goal record from 2015-2016 at Napoli, where he scored 36 goals. And to think of a player scoring 36, more than 36 goals and, you know, being in a position right now where he's at 17, He's running away with the Capocanieri. Um, yeah, he's, 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 I mean, the, the, the pace the, and for which he's putting up goals. I mean, there's no signs of him slowing down. And he's turning the corner for the international team, too. There was a lot of criticism he got um, for going missing in uh, the, the, that World Cup playoff a couple years ago against Sweden, where Italy really needed him. Uh, but I think there's one of those things where, for me, I was very critical of him. Uh, at that point in time, it was a lot of frustration. I think many people were frustrated as well. But at the same time, I think he's one of those man, uh, one of those strikers where I think you're starting to see him, um, you know, you know, turn it around 
at the international level to the point where you could feel confident in him leading the attack um, heading into the Euro. Now, look, I think Mancini has that option of going with Belotti too. The fact that he has two guys to lean on um, is uh, encouraging because I think that both players, they have similarities, but they also can give you some different looks. But speaking on uh, Immobile's current form in, for Lazio, he's, what, 17 goals, as I mentioned, through 14 games in a 38-game season. I mean, he's he's well on his way to beating the record, number one. But number two, he's in a, in, he's going to be one of those strikers when you look at the end of his career, when it's all said and done, as a one of those who is one of those strikers who is very very consistent in his prime and his prime years were ultimately very good, very very good, and in, in, in the in the and not just in in, in time football, but um, you know in European football as as a, as a whole because. He's one of a few strikers in history of Serie A who is probably going to have 20-plus goals for four, maybe five seasons. That's That speaks volumes. And he's already, what, I think a top three or top four striker in terms of goals all time for Lazio, right? So you, you start looking at the accolades he's compiling, and he's got more years in him. And you look at the nature of the league itself, and you wonder... I mean, this guy is what, 29, 30? He's kind of in that, in that area where he has definitely a handful of good years left in him. But Serie A seems like one of those leagues where careers can get extended. You could still be a 15 to 16, 17 goal scorer, even into your mid-30s. So Strikers are peaking age, uh, uh, later as well, aren't they? I mean, they you are. Bamiang, you look at Lewandowski, Benzema, some of the guys we mentioned there. I mean, they're, they're kind of at their peak. And, it's, and it's, it's funny too because we look at strikers and we look at, you know, in, in the modern game, well, players are 27, 28. Ah, he's old, right? He's This player's mm. old. He's, you know, we got to start thinking of a long-term solution, right? But if you're Lazio, I think, you I mean, you, you don't have that problem, obviously. And it's it's crazy to see that, you know, for what the numbers he's putting up. And then you see, you know, how much of an impact he's having for Lazio. But you also see how much other clubs around Italy are struggling to get that production from their striker position, right? Obviously, Milan... Beyond, it's a hard league to score in as well. It is a hard league to score in. You know, Ibrahimovic always had a quote, and he always you know, always said that, you know, out of all the leagues I've played in, Serie A has always been the most difficult from a striker's perspective and position to score because, you know, there's the space isn't always there, the, the, the time, the defenses are much stronger. And look, I, you know, you can make all... You can, you can say all you want about other leagues, this and that, but... Well, look what we're seeing with Ronaldo, right? Everyone was saying he had a good year last year. He scored quite a bit, I think, 19, 21, 21, 20, 21 goals, excuse me. But he's not as effective as he's in. I mean, his his fall off this year in production, he's not even close to being the player he was. And I don't think people, he looks human, right? Ronaldo looks human for once in his career. This is probably most the, the most human he's ever looked, in my opinion, but you're getting back on track here with Immobile. If you're Lazio, I don't think you have that so much of a worry of him leaving um, next summer. And the reason why I say that is simply for the fact that is one, Lazio cannot afford to let him go, number one. Number two, I think if he's looking for a wage increase, then I think they'll definitely have to match it because the fact of the matter is they're not going to get this sort of production anywhere else at this point in time. Number three, he's had endeavors and failed endeavors uh, abroad outside of Italy. Remember, he went to Sevilla... He went to Borussia Dortmund. They just didn't work out. Italy seems like the the, the 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 place for him to be, and you also have to throw in the factors of the language barriers that he would obviously has had raised in the past as being a a, a difficult thing for him to uh, get over. Um, and I think that's ultimately why he came back to Torino on loan and then made that really small, very under the radar move a couple of years ago to Lazio. I think it was for under ten million, which is 
sickening if you think about it, right? For a player who previously had won a Capo Canary at Torino, comes back, and now all of a sudden he's scoring every week, it seems, for Lazio. So Lazio, they struck gold here. There's no doubt about it. And I think when you look at his numbers compared to what we're seeing with Benzema and Lewandowski, the reason why he's maybe not getting as much credit is for the fact that those two team, those two uh, strikers are playing at larger clubs and they're playing in the Champions League. And I think that's what ultimately what kind of, you know, kind of not diminishes what, what Trio Mobile is doing. But I think at the same time, it doesn't really help his, his, uh, reputation his cause right because it's people are always going to say and you see in the comments everywhere oh he's scoring in a farmer's league oh he's scoring against Spal, he's scoring against uh, Brescia and Elas Verona and all these other clubs when you start getting that that where you start getting that that recognition as being a top flight top class striker is when you're doing it with all the eyes on you on the main stage and that's what we're seeing with Benzema and Lewandowski so that's the only thing I can really say unfortunately that kind of works against Mobile, but there's no doubt about it. If we're just going based on strictly club form and overall the production, Mobile is right there with those two strikers at the moment based off you know his his start to the season and really what we can hope to project from him on the international level heading into the Euro. Yeah, so I'm just looking at the um, leaderboards here. Immobile, uh, 17 goals in 13 starts. Lewandowski, 16 in 13. Vardy, 13 in 14. Werner, 13 in... Uh, 13 and then Benzema has 10 in 13 um, and uh, but, but Immobile's got 5 assists as well which is <laughs> silly isn't it 22 goals and assists in 13 games but Matt last one from me before we move on to our uh, player profile you know we've compared him to those two strikers because I think age wise and kind of like how prolific they are and how important they are to their teams it's, it's clear but do you think that come the summer Lazio are going to be able to keep him, especially if he shines on the international stage with Italy. I do. I, I, I think for me, look, at this point in time of his career, does he really want to go out there and, and, and leave a place that he's already comfortable with? And he's dragging his wife and kids to another area outside of Italy. I, I, don't, I just don't see him wanting to leave. I think he's had those opportunities in the past to try out other leagues to see if it will work. And I just think... From what I see from Italian players historically, is that they don't really play that well, perform that well abroad. And I'm not saying that you know, it's always down to strictly just the player itself. You know, there's there's a lot of things that go into a transfer and making a transfer work. But you know, we see so many times that a player goes to fetch the money, or they go to fetch the new challenges. And look, I think a, a, a great thing would be for if he's able to get Lazio into a top four finish and play Champions League football at Lazio. Right next year, that would be huge. At the end of the day, I think Immobile is going to stay. I don't see him leaving. Now, look, the, there's, there's, it would be no hard feelings, right? If if Lazio are in a position where they're like, look, we get like an eighty million offer from some team, I think maybe they would consider it. But at the same time, if what what about in 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 Italy? Could he could he go to like an Inter or a Juve? But you look at but you believe you look at those situations at those clubs and. I mean, he's got ties to Juve. He was previously there, you know, as, as a youth player, um, and then obviously he went to Torino. He went to some other clubs, and he was, you know, before he rose, excuse me, rose to stardom at Torino in the Capo Canary, and obviously what he's doing at Lazio. But inter situation, they got Lautaro if they're able to keep him. Lukaku, um, you know, is he a fit there? May, may, I doubt it. I, I don't see it. So you know, there's a lot of. And you got to keep in mind too is that Lotito is so difficult to deal with, 
as an owner that, and you see it with even Milinkovic Savic, right? After the one year he had a couple of seasons ago, I want 150 for this guy, 150 million. Like, it's a lot of things have to line up and make sense. And I think if we're just looking at whether or not Immobile would would be would want be the guy to want to move, I don't think he will move. I think he's a guy that he's starting to see that he's kind of he's very comfortable. He's forming a great legacy, a great history, um, and a great career at Lazio in the capital. It's a big, big. It's, it's still very much a big club, and he's got such a big footprint that he's leaving there. That I don't think there's much reason for him to want to leave. Now, I will say this: there's can't you can't close the door on a situation where, let's say, you know, in a year or two, Milan, right? They need a striker. Or they're looking for someone, and they you know look to Immobile because right, you know, they've had interest in the past. I think it's clear. But it's always been a case where, look, Milan aren't the Milan of old. Why would I want to take that step back unless they're paying me an outrageous amount of wages? So we, there's a lot of factors that come into play. I don't think that Lazio fans should be worried about him leaving. Um, as as also the fact that I don't believe that there's going to be a big enough offer to come in to sway Botito to sell him. I think he understands that he's such a big, huge part of that club going forward. And if they want to do anything, you know, in terms of you know making the next step and starting to compete with the Inters or the Juves, they need a player like that in his production. So um, I, I just don't see him leaving. I think, again, if he was a player that didn't test waters outside of Italy, then you could say, OK, well, look, he wants to play on the biggest stage. He wants to kind of, you know, test the waters here and there. But he's had opportunities. He could have left two years ago, three years ago. And he came back to Italy. He's just comfortable. And I think you have to look at certain players. Like you could say with many with many English players, right? There's a lot of players that just don't leave the Premier League. You know? So he, I see, I peg him as one of those guys where he's comfortable. He's in the prime years of his career. He's going to have probably go down as the, probably the all-time scorer at Lazio if he stays there. I mean, I think there's a lot of things. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things for, for him to want to stay versus wanting to leave. Again, money talks. I don't you know, think that you can completely roll it out, but I think he stays. Right, well, uh, you put your money where your mouth is there, Matt. Let's let's see what happens. And uh, before we leave you, we're just going to go into our player profile. So today we're going to have a look at uh, Musa Gineppo, the uh, Southampton winger who is... From Mali, uh, he was brought over from Standard Liège, uh, and uh, yeah, he, he started the season pretty well um, for Southampton. Uh, if you guys have been watching the uh, Premier League, um, he he's still only twenty one, but some of the goals he scored for Southampton so far this season at the beginning of the year have been really really good, and he was a big part of uh, Southampton's latest win against Watford at home, uh, where he provided the assist for the equaliser and just looked a, a threat the whole time he's um he's quite like a lanky rangy uh guy even though he's not that big he's probably like about 510 uh quite like um agile uh his feet are incredibly quick he's very both footed uh, a good finisher um can play out wide up top or kind of in that 10 role um and he's yeah he just looks a real fantastic talent a lot of people have been calling him like the new Saido Mane but I actually think he, he might be technically better than Saido Mane I mean a lot of people would probably chastise me for saying but just how good he is with both feet his kind of intricacy of his footwork and how amazingly he um, he gets past players Matt I'd, I'd really advise you to watch this uh, goal he scored I don't know who against maybe it was Newcastle but he, he ran past um, 
he passed he, he ran past like literally their whole defense and he, he did one bit of skill which I've I've really hardly seen a uh, few players do uh, but he looks a, a top top player and he's a guy that um, I think is just going to go on and on um, if he continues playing as well as he does for Southampton if Southampton go down he's definitely a guy that won't stick around there for long um, and even if they do do well I expect that a lot of the reasons they do well is going to be down to a player like him uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see how uh, he develops at Southampton um, it's going to be interesting to see now that he's back from injury and how he does over this really busy Christmas period I'm really looking forward to, to kind of watching him a bit more um, hopefully uh, when he plays Arsenal again it won't be uh, that fruitious for him but um, we'll see so yeah that's that's the kind of uh, roundup on uh, Musa Gineppo there definitely want to keep an eye out and I don't know if you've seen much of him Matt but uh, he looks he looks uh, really exciting yeah, that's and that's a great part. Is I, I, you know, I, off the you know, off the top, I was uh, I, you know going to you. Obviously, Pat, and I was saying, like, I was like, let, let let's let Pat kind of you know, pick a player to profile because obviously we've done quite a bit of Serie A players in the past. Um, you know, we were kind of running through some of the names that we did cover in previous episodes, previous recordings, and very very Serie A heavy. But it's, it's always great to kind of you know again peel back the layers, look for some of the players that aren't at the big big clubs. But that are making noise that you know kind of you know has that effect beyond numbers, right? I think we're we're a sport that is so driven by numbers and how that's obviously going to translate from club to club, on in league to league, and so on and so forth. So to see players that you go you could kind of watch on a weekly basis and say, oh, this kid's got something, you know, just kind of the way he is on the ball, the way he passes, the way he does uh, defending, you know, all these sorts of things. So definitely someone I'm going to keep an eye out, but. Pat, I just want to go briefly through some of the names that we've covered for our listeners this way. Um, that They have an idea of, one, they can go back to previous episodes to learn more about. Two, just to kind of uh, encourage you guys as listeners to uh, keep suggesting names that you want us to profile for us and for our guests that we have on the show. Um, we've covered Moise Kane. We've covered Cucho Hernandez, Piontek, Reese Nelson, Chingis Under, Mason Mount, Nicholas Pepe, Timothy Weah, Chiesa Varela. Martinelli, Castrovilli, Kulisevsky, Traore, Boadu, uh, Malinovsky. So we, we've covered an extensive amount of players, guys. And, you know, we, we, we need your help in, in wanting to know more about uh, other leagues outside the top five that maybe we should cover who uh, maybe aren't getting the recognition they deserve but are making noise and could be poised for big moves to some big clubs. So, um, yeah, I just think that was the, a fitting way to end uh, what was our most recent player profile. Yeah, Matt, I've just sent you it uh, via WhatsApp, his latest goal. Go on, uh, ha- have a look if you haven't looked at it before. Give us the, the live reaction on Mike. I will, I will definitely do that. Let me see this. <laughs> oh, no, content not available. You notice I, 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 I always oh. get that all the time, right? The people are like, well, we'll see the goal. Like, oh, look at this bang girl. They'll have like the, the fire emojis on it. And like, it gives me like a little bit of like a, a, a like it looks like it's going to play. And I click it and then it so says, annoying. this is not available in your country. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> oh man uh, well I, I feel should I should I like actually you know what I'm going to screen record it for you because it's that good it's, it's worth <laughs> it it's worth it here we go I'm just screen recording hold on here we go it's, it's just a sensational I like the skill he does like let me know if you've ever seen anyone do that before because it's like ridiculous um, here we go Sorry, listeners, we're, we're boring you by now. Here we go. No, I'm sending it the over. Like they want to see. They want the live reaction. Yeah. There you go. This is the live reaction. Yeah, here we go. All right, so I've just sent it over. Okay. <laughs> Got the audio on the back. Oh. 
I mean, See, that's the thing. Like that's the thing. Like people will like look at like per, like all the appearances or the sorts of things, and I think it's always there's so much context behind like a goal like that, mm. where it's you can project like he may not score you know twenty goals in a season, but you know when you look at the end of his at the end of the season, you look back at like a highlight reel of him, you're like, okay, this kid's got it, right? This kid's got that it factor about them, and that's going to ultimately translate to to more goals, assists, and and ultimately better performances at a better club. So. Man, that's that. This kid's something special, and uh, yeah, that's what we try to bring the listeners here to the podcast: is players who aren't getting that sort of limelight and that attention, but that you can kind of look back on him when you know when he does make that big move and say, "Hey, the State of Play podcast covered those players," and I kind of got a, a little bit more of an insight on what they are and what they can provide. So, yeah, good job, Ben. I, pre- I appreciate you giving me some of the that Premier League uh, Premier League sauce here. <laughs> <laughs> bit of sauce there for you um uh, uh where can people find out more about you matt you guys can follow me on twitter at matt underscore santangelo and yeah appreciate the support with the articles and all that stuff if you haven't checked out the latest edition of the scatter football handbook volume four make sure you guys do so it's available to purchase and also i don't know how much how many of these are left but i am featured in the ac milan magazine from these football times print magazine make sure you guys grab a copy if you're a milan fan and uh yeah, I appreciate any support you guys give, so thank you. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, you can uh, find me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. You can find us at State of Play Pod on Twitter. And uh, shout out to uh, the Big Heads group that we're a part of, uh, that are part of their um, podcast network. Uh, thanks for all the support to them. And, and check all the other uh, football shows or soccer, whatever you want to call it, shows on their network as well. Uh, if you guys did enjoy this, please do subscribe so you get... Uh, this fire content pretty much every tuesday and uh if you guys are really enjoying it and you're listening every week please do leave us a review on uh on itunes if you're uh if that's where you're listening uh or wherever you're listening to these podcasts thanks very much for listening and have a great day